the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi there, and welcome to another installment of Way of Grace with our teacher and pastor, Jessica Stan, from Grace Bible Church in Hayward, online at grace-bible.com. There is a difference between a child who accidentally hurts another child versus one who intentionally does so. Both need to be dealt with, but in a far different manner. And this was the case with the children of Israel. God allowed forgiveness for those who made unintentional errors if they realized their mistakes quickly and correctly made them. For the details, here's Pastor Jesse. When you demonstrate contentment for what you have, you are demonstrating an awareness of whose you are and the potential of whose you are, giving you everything you need and more. And you don't have to feel like you have to fight and grasp after something Because once you know you are the Lord, you know you are the one who possesses and owns everything. All the cattle on a thousand hills is the Lord's. He can give us all that we ever need or want, but it's rooted in a relationship of being contented with him. Am I making some sense? This is why most Christians are not, they're not godly. Just helping you out. Might be some in the house. You're not godly. You can tell by what's going on in your mouth. You can tell by your agitation. You can tell by your jealousy towards others. This is scary, however, that we're dealing with because staying in your lane is really, again, a profoundly uh, short witnessed, short lived testimony. But this is what Paul said also in Philippians 4, verse 11 through 13. Now, you've heard this before. I want to put another uh, add another concept to this. Now, this is Paul. He's in prison. He's in the Roman prison, this is the area of Caesarea Philippi, where he's talking about being in prison for the cause of the gospel. And notice again, the set of principles he's operating out of. Again, we don't know this well. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, our desire, our, our covetousness, for I have, what's the word? I have what? I have learned in whatever state I am, therewith to be what? God taught him how to be content. In his situation. Right. So I've taught this to our men years ago. Contentment means being able to find everything inside the contents of that space and domain that God places you. It means to find everything within the content of that domain and space that God places you in. When a man is content, he comes to find the resources. When a woman is content, they find the resources right where they are in order for them to have everything they need for that moment. Now, y'all know what I'm saying is true. A lot of you guys have come up through a history where your people were poor and we had to survive on a potato a day. Some greens a day. Some cabbage a day. 
And if we had a piece of meat, we were living large. And we thank God for him and said, praise God from whom all blessings flow when we ate it. And God sustained us. Now here we are just shewing, waxing fat, and we're complaining because we can't maintain our status quo. Told you there's very few godly Christians in America today. He says, I have learned whatsoever state I am in to be there with content. So the first one's a revelation. The second one is a regiment. I have learned. That's a regiment. Did y'all get that? Y'all know what I'm saying is true. I'm getting ready to go to my second point. But y'all know what I'm saying is true because some of you have tried to be content and it ain't worked. That'll come home in a minute. So you know what, Lord? I'm just going to live on $500 a week. I I, I promise I'm I'm done with um, the extra lattes with three shots. I'm done. I'm going down to regular coffee. And I'm just going to, I'm going to actually only eat two meals a day, Lord. I'm going to miss a meal, right? And, and I'm just going to really learn how to be content. And it lasts about three and a half days. And on the fourth day, you start cheating again. Did you see how hard it is? See how hard it is? And we laugh about it, but if you're not, if you're not careful, there is an imperceptible bleed over between the physical and the spiritual. Your attitude is compromised when you don't have a regiment that keeps you in a state of godliness with contentment. Point number two in our outline, because I could be saying a whole lot more. I could be saying a whole lot more. Point number two in our outline, the deceptive distortions of what? Misperceiving. Right. I've also said it to the saints. I'll say it to you. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that it'll mean anything. But the way you see things is not the way it really is. Just because you see it that way. The way you see things does not constitute reality or fact simply because you see it that way. Right. Your perception could correspond to reality, but they are not equivalent factors. They are not an equation. I perceive, therefore, it is. No, your perception could be radically distorted, radically wrong, radically amiss. And particularly if your perception is predicated upon certain biases, certain bits, Certain insecurities, certain drives, certain malevolent objectives, because the way you frame a thing is always going to be the consequence of the grounds upon which you stand in terms of your own self-identification. You're going to frame things in regards to who you are because you want the way you the way you see it to actually facilitate your goals or your desires of approval, of acceptance, of importance. Am I making sense of approval, of acceptance or importance? So if this is true, is it possible that frequently you betray yourself through your perceptions? Is it possible that you can lie to yourself way more than you should? Right. And I would, I would admit to you that a lot of people are constantly lying to themselves. I, I love this. this. is really true. Watch this under point number two. Look at verse two. Here's the line, verse two. And they said, this is Aaron and Mo, Miriam. Are you there? And they said, hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses. Now, in my mind, I'm going, what? 
in the world are y'all talking about? What kind of conversation are we having now? What, 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 is, what precipitated, what drove this kind of intramural dialogue between Aaron and Miriam? I mean, I mean, they're sitting down, it's early in the morning, they're drinking their tea, and, uh, and, and Miriam says to Aaron, why does Moses think that he's the only one the Lord talking through? And Aaron goes back to, to little sister and says, yeah, I don't know why he think he's the only one the Lord talking to. Can you see it? Can you see now if this is not, you know, these housewife movies and surreal programs with these people way off the reservation, I don't know what it is. But I want you to capture this. This is rooted in a deep-seated misperception of who Moses was. Right. People love to engage in fantasy so long as nobody is walking around with a pen busting that bubble. Here's the problem, too, with misperceiving. Misperceiving is okay so long as you also carry a pen to bust the bubble after you blow up that false conception or that false assumption about what that thing is. Now, it it really takes discipline to challenge your own assumptions. It really does take discipline to challenge your own assumptions because we live in a world where men and women love BS. We, We love it. We love it. And the reality is, is you need to keep a pen around to bust the bubble so God can keep you grounded in the facts. Because you really can't help people by lying to them and them lying to you. So when we're talking about the, the, the misperception that is taking place in our context, I want you to see what we're dealing with. We're dealing with deceptive distortions of misperception. When our lens of perception is flawed, we are not working with reality. We are trapped by unproven assumptions, speculations, biases, and they're catering to our insecurities, as I said. And and how long was this working with Aaron and Miriam? Because they are asserting by the way they're talking that Moses has a silver spoon in his mouth. Is that logical thinking? Of course. But may I remind you, Moses was in a precarious position from the time he was conceived in his mama's womb. This is Exodus chapter one. This is why our first subpoint under point number two is clearly laid out. Moses was born into trouble. Remember that whole group of Israelite women who were under judgment by Pharaoh to kill the men children in the womb. There was genocide going on. That's Exodus chapter one, verse 22. Genocide is going on. Listen to it. And Pharaoh charged all the people saying, every son that is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Miriam should have kept her mouth shut. You keeping up with me? She had a clean slate to get away. Now, Aaron, I don't know how he lived, but he should have been counting his blessings, too. See, this is where all this is where these two missed out on the potential of a dynastic uh, 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 trajectory for Moses, Aaron and Miriam, because God had protected all three of them and they were set up to be leaders in Israel. And here Aaron and Miriam are tearing it down by a set of assumptions that are obviously wrong. Am I making some sense? Why? Because Moses is in danger 
of being killed, even after being born, so much so that his mother has to hide him. All right, so stay with me for a moment because we're under point number two in this uh, point. Uh, so point B, Moses was raised in separation. Exodus 2 verses 1 through 5 tells us that his mother put him in a bushel and hid him over by the river Nile over in the, 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 uh, the, the, over in the corners of the water where there's a lot of foliage there, right? You guys remember that? Now, this is really paradoxical in terms of kind of what, what, we, what we might call um, narrative uh, language. And that is she's trying to protect him from a direct sword against him by the government. Okay? But she's putting him over there where crocodiles could get to him. The boy is in danger any way it goes. Y'all keeping up with me? Now, why did she do that? She did it by faith, Hebrews 11 tells us. So she had gotten a word from the Lord that Moses was to live and she was to let him go, that God would protect him, even though the potential for alligators to eat him up. She put him over in the foliage and she went back to the shore and she watched how providence moved in her life. All this to say, can you imagine Moses in the womb of his mother suffering the trauma of his environment? And now Moses is in a, in a, in a, a, a bull rush, in a basket, suffering the trauma of his environment. Can, can you imagine how mentally challenged he's going to be? Now, not only that, he's separated from mom and daddy, his kinfolk, all his years. Okay, he's in the palace of Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter loves uh, uh, Moses, and Moses is living large, but we know epigenetically he's impacted because he's disassociated from his original family. But his original family is right down the road on the lower tier of slaves, so he's growing up in a constant tension between who he is in Egypt and who he is as a Hebrew. Am I making some sense? He's not really living a great life. He's not really living a great life. Internally, he knows that there was a separation. Okay, so he got, he got you know, adopted parents and things seem pretty good. But you ask any child that you have, that if they had the, I know I'm going to get in trouble with this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If they had the option of leaving home from you and going living with some wealthy folks, See, I told you I was going to get in trouble with that one, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. Whether or not they would do better with strangers who could provide for them than family who would love them, though they would struggle. Am I making some sense? This is a challenge that we're dealing with Moses. I'm arguing, I'm arguing that Moses did not live in such a prestigious situation that it shielded him from internal conflict from mental anguish, from a real difficulty with his own identity, because not only is he living away from his family, but he's living against his family. Did that make some sense? All right, told you we ought to think this stuff through, don't we? He's living against his family. And until the day came where that incorruptible seed 
manifested itself in Moses, which it must do for you and me in salvation. Until the day came, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 11, at a certain point, Moses came when he was of age, when he was of age, it manifested to Moses that he was a child of the Hebrew people and not a child of the Egyptian. And that is what has to happen to you and me. We have to come of age, be born again, come to know that we are of the true and the living God and we are not of this world system. That's what must happen to you and me. Am I making some sense? See, because he chose you in Christ before the world began and you're living in this world as an alien. You are a sinner indeed. I'm going to prove that in a moment. But you're a sinner with God's hand of purpose on your life. And so you live in the tension of being in a world of strangers as a stranger. Some of us know that. Some of us know how our life before Christ was such that while we were tearing it up and acting a fool, there was still something that was uniquely anomalous about us in relationship to God's purpose in our life. And it's not intrinsic to us. It's how God keeps his elect before he saves them and then brings them out of their wickedness and they come to discover I'm a stranger in a strange land by the grace of the living God. Am I making some sense? All right, Moses came to that. He came to of age and we're praying that some of you come to age as a certain point too. And so what I am arguing under point number two is all of this gobbledygook going on in verse two between Moses and between Aaron and, and Miriam is absolute distortion of reality. So point C, Moses was humbled from the time that he was conceived to the very day that we're on right now. Think it through with me. You're conceived in the womb of a woman in a society where they have contracted genocide for you to die. That's humbling. It's already humbling. Does that, does that make some sense? Now, so you make it out of the womb. If you make it out, it sounds like my country. Doesn't it sound like my country? And you make it out of the womb and, 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 and you have to live in a precarious situation where you can't live with your family. That's humbling. You see your family down the road. It's humbling. It, it is going to make you a little schizophrenic, isn't it? Right. That's why when Moses finally got of age and he was, you know, starting to fill his oats because testosterone was still working in men back then. Don't let me go down that path. <laughs> he rose up against the Egyptian that was abusing his brother and he killed him. So we do know that Moses has a little bit of an anger issue going on. Don't we know that? And then God had to humble him some more to send him out in the wilderness because Pharaoh is going to show enough, kill him now. And he got to do 40 years in the wilderness. That's humbling. This is why there was a good portion of his inarticulation, which was a consequence was just being out there with sheep. Your language, your vocabulary is not going to get that broad while you hanging out there with sheep. I'm just saying. Uh, It ain't going to get that broad. You're you're not going to be an erudite. Okay, so I get Moses living with these tensions. He got a little fire in him, but he don't want to talk to Pharaoh. Egypt at that time was the greatest nation in the world for all kinds of sciences, along with being what we would call the pinnacle of intellect. And Moses didn't think that he was persuasive enough or, or eloquent enough to deal with it. Humble! Humble! And then God sends Moses to save what we have come to discover is a bunch of people who are trying their damnedest not to believe God. And those are his family members. Those are his real kinfolks. Y'all keeping up with me? Those are his real kinfolks. 
Aaron is Moses' real kin. Miriam is Moses' real. All of those 12, those is real kinfolk. Them are kinfolks. You can't get rid of your kinfolk. Your kinfolk crazy, you crazy. Everybody crazy. You can't, and, and then now you got to lead your kinfolk to the promised land, right? And all the other nations are watching these crazy Hebrews doing crazy stuff. And now the serpent, I told you, you don't see the serpent in the life of the people of God in the wilderness, but he shows up and he showed up this time to knock the whole thing down. And where he shows up is at the pinnacle of leadership. We're right back there again, challenging leadership, are we not? And everybody's, what, what, can you imagine the text and emails and Twitter files that was running through Israel when they read that Aaron and, and, and Miriam was talking about Moses being married to that black woman? Can you imagine all of that stuff that was going on? Right. I mean, I, it just, that thing blew up. Did it blow up or what? Like a 1.3 million hits. Everybody reading it. Everybody reading it. Moses was humbled. Why do I say that? Look at verse 3. Now the man Moses was very what? Above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. You better capture that. Because God is giving you a, a, a juxtaposition between Aaron and Miriam and Moses at this point. It's helping you actually keep clarity on the categories in the narrative. What I mean by that is when you actually assess all of the factors around Moses, he had to be humble. When you ha- actually assess all the factors around Moses, he had to be what? Humble. Not God called him after 40 years. First of all, he was 40 years old when he was drove, driven into the wilderness. He had to hang out for 40 years in the wilderness. This brother is called to lead these raggedy Hebrews at 80 years old. Most of us didn't retire for 20 years. This is humbling. Now he has to do another 40 years in the wilderness with these same crazy people. This is humbling. Now, the person speaking is not Moses, Aaron, Miriam, or any one of the 12 tribes of Israel. God is speaking. And what did God say about Moses? The humblest man on the earth. That should close the conversation. The Lord Jesus is the one speaking, is he not? Here's what he says. Moses is the meekest servant I ever had. You know what that means is? God knows that Moses is going to submit to God. Whatever God says, he's just going to do. We can learn a lesson from that. Stay with me. So, you know, the buzz has gotten out. I'm going to show you that in verse five, because the text is going to say, and the Lord came down. He's going to say to Moses, I have heard what they said. Now, whenever God says that, it's not that somehow he just cut on his omniscience. That was always working. God heard what they said before they said it before he made them. When he says he heard it, it means he heard it audibly and publicly out in the blogosphere among the people. And he's taking a position that he is now hearing what everyone else is hearing. Did that come home? I heard it too. That's how broadly this scandalous proposition of Moses being married. And what's so cold about the saints? Listen, I'm teaching you tactics of the devil right here. Uh, Moses' wife ain't got nothing to do with what's going on. Okay, so Moses got trouble with his wife. Ain't no doubt about that. And but God's not stopping Moses from doing what God wants Moses to do because his wife is acting a fool. She is certainly acting a fool. 
Okay, but now his sister has taken it over the top. See, because you don't you don't really attack your brother when he's down unless you're a snake yourself or unless you're being governed by a snake. Now, you might be God's lamb acting like a goat and a lot of God's lambs act like goats and will say things that we should not say. Am I making some sense? But this one is atrocious because it's pulling down the whole system. Can you see it? It's pulling down the whole system. Uh, uh, His wife, Zipporah, has nothing to do with this. She's back at home with her dad. Well, you are listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Closing out our time together today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know how the program encourages you in your walk with Christ. Questions, comments, prayer requests are always welcome. You can either write to us, give us a call, or stop by our website and drop us an email. Now, the best place to go, of course, is the website. Not only will you be able to write to us via email, you'll be able to get more information about who we are, what we believe, worship times, how to get here. Grace-Bible.com is our website. Again, that's Grace-Bible.com. If you wish to give us a call, the number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, our address is 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street. Here in Hayward, the zip code, 94541. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. One final note as we close out our time today, this program is listener-supported. If you wish to partner with us, we would be more than grateful. This broadcast airs throughout the Bay Area, as well as online, impacting thousands for the sake of Christ. And that is our hope and our goal. If you'd like to partner with us along those lines, feel free to write or give us a call. No gift is too large, no gift too small, whether a one-time gift or a monthly support. You're more than welcome to reach out. We would love to partner with you as we minister the gospel of Jesus to the Bay Area and the World Wide Web. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.